0: following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, <clears throat> the goal is, is to finish it out uh, before the end of the year, so we're getting towards the end. And we're going to be in verse 6 today, and uh, I'll tell you up front, this is kind of a, this is a strange verse, all right? This is a strange verse. So this is your first time with us today. Uh, this will be a little bit of a strange sermon, all right? Uh, a little bit of a different verse, and, um, and uh, I'm a strange guy, so it all goes together. Um, but uh, Matthew chapter 7, and for the sake of context, I want to begin reading in verse 5. It says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. If you've been studying the Bible for for long at all, probably most of the time when you read a passage of Scripture, you can pretty quickly identify the the basic sense of what it's saying and, and what God wants you to do. So, so you might not immediately understand every detail of, of what the text is saying and, and every issue of application, but, but you get basically what's going on. And, and I would imagine that for most of us, that's true when you read verses 1 through 5. That you can read that verse, and even if you've never read it before, that you can recognize that Jesus is confronting judgmentalism. And, and he's telling us that we need to worry about our own problems before we worry about fixing other people's problems. That's pretty basic, pretty easy to see. But verse 6 is a different story. I remember back in 2007, uh, we were at the church in Michigan, and and I remember that my pastor was preaching through Matthew, and and he came to this verse, and and I had been through Bible college, I was uh, well through my seminary education, and he read this verse, and I'll, I'll admit that I had never thought seriously about verse 6, and I had no idea what this verse was saying. And then he explained the verse, and then he started to apply the verse, and I was sitting there thinking, What in the world is he talking about? And I remember uh, that week having conversations with several of my seminary friends, and we were all trying to wrap our brain around what Jesus means. In Matthew 7, verse 6. So so this is a hard verse. And it's an especially hard verse to know how to apply. But it is the words of Jesus. It's authoritative. It's important. And I think we're going to see today, Lord willing, that that it really does have some, some very valuable and very practical significance for us as we seek to minister and serve on our Lord's behalf, so so let's jump into this verse today and, and I'd like to begin uh, this morning uh, with some definitions. all right so 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 notice before we get to the definitions that that this, is, that this verse is clearly in the form of a proverb, all right so so Jesus here is not talking about literal dogs, hogs, and pearls he's He's using metaphors, he's using illustrative language. To make a spiritual point. So, so it's important that, that we just here at the outset think about what exactly is he talking about here? So, so first of all, in, in this proverb, holy and pearls are metaphors for the gospel, all right? Now, now, now a good question to ask. Whenever you, you try to interpret a, a, more, uh, a little more hard-to-understand verse such as this one, and particularly a biblical metaphor, is is does that metaphor appear anywhere else in the Bible that would help us understand what the author means? And and the Bible helps us out here. So uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46 say this. They say, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells everything that he has," And buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. So you can see that in those two parables, Jesus compares uh, the gospel of the kingdom, which, which is almost identical to the gospel of that, that we have in, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So, so he compares the gospel to a treasure, and he compares it to a pearl of great price, and it makes good sense that that Jesus is is talking about a similar idea in our text for today, That, that Jesus is thinking of the gospel as a precious treasure, as a pearl of great price. Now, I will say that a few people have tried to come up with other meanings of this parable altogether, or this, this metaphor. And, and, but, but, but none of them are very convincing. I, I read through a few different ideas, you know, ways that people understand this verse this week, and, and none of them made any sense at all. So, so New Testament scholars are almost unanimous in believing that our text is talking about the gospel and talking about gospel proclamation. So, so Jesus declares that the gospel is holy, and really that's probably here a picture of, of, of sacred meat that had been offered on the altar, and it is precious like pearls, which in the ancient world were even more valued than they are today. So, so, so Matthew here is talking about the gospel, and then secondly, we need to define, well, what are the dogs and the hogs? And so dogs and pigs are people who knowingly scorn the gospel. Now, now, it's interesting, uh, again here, that to, to, help the, the, to let the Bible help us interpret this, that there's only one other place in the Bible where, where dogs and pigs are, are used together as an illustration. And this verse uh, is helpful for understanding our text. So, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, uh, Peter here is talking about false teachers who had, who had influenced the church. And he says, it has happened to them, speaking of these false teachers, according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. So we went through Second Peter uh, last winter, and, and maybe you recall uh, that, uh, that these false teachers had, had known the gospel. They had at one time professed to believe the gospel. And, and now they had walked away from Christ, and it wasn't just that they had walked away from Christ, they were encouraging other people to resist Christ as well. They were hostile towards the Gospel and to Gospel ministry. And so Peter here compares them to dogs and hogs. And so verse, our text, chapter 7, verse 6, compares people who scorned the Gospel to dogs and to pigs. Now he's not saying they're literally dogs and pigs. You know, that he's saying that he despises them or hates them. And I think we've got to be careful not to go... Further here than what Jesus means. But 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 he is saying that but he is making a comparison. And that's strong language, right? But but Jesus is saying that opposing the gospel is a serious matter. And I believe uh, that it will help us understand, and I believe it'll help us understand our text uh, if, if we just walk through several other passages of scripture where, where this idea comes up and we can see it fleshed out. So so we're going to do a little bit of a tour through the Bible. So turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. All right, so, so you're hearing this verse and you're thinking, all right, so God is saying that when people reject the gospel, don't cast your pearls before swine and don't, uh, don't give your sacred meat to them. So, so what does that mean? Well, well, we see several examples in Scripture where, where this principle is fleshed out. So So Matthew chapter 10, the context here is that Jesus is sending his disciples out to preach, all right? And and, and notice how he tells them to respond to people who reject them. It says in verse 11, and whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Now, now shaking the dust off there is a symbolic gesture to, to symbolize God's rejection of them. So, so these people reject the gospel that the di- disciples are preaching. And Jesus says, if they reject the message, then you reject them. I'll turn over to chapter 15. Chapter 15 of Matthew. And uh, I want to read verses 12 through 14. So so Jesus has just made a strong announcement uh, against the Pharisees for, for their hypocrisy. And verse 12 says, And the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Now, now Jesus' response here is very different from how we normally think. Because normally, like, if I preach the gospel and someone gets offended, our natural impulse is that we've got to fix the offense. Like, we've got to make them feel all better, and we've got to make them happy again. and, and, And Jesus says, let them alone. They're blind. They don't have any interest in what I'm saying. And don't bother. And then turn over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And because we're going to see here that it wasn't just Jesus that did this, it was the apostles. Paul specifically followed Jesus' pattern. And here the context this is the first missionary journey, and Jesus, or excuse me, Paul is ministering in the city of Pisidian Antioch. And and notice what it says in verse. 44 Acts 13:44 It says the next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord but when the Jews saw the crowd they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life behold We are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So so you can see again there that the Jews, they they aggressively resisted Paul's ministry. They, they, They didn't just reject the gospel, they were trying to stop other people from believing as well. And so before Paul left town, he shakes the dust off his feet, which is exactly what Jesus had told the disciples to do in Matthew chapter 10 if someone rejected their message. So so Jesus is doing the same thing here. That that when they reject Him, He essentially rejects them. And then turn over to Acts 18. We'll look at one more example. Acts 18. Paul is ministering in the city of Corinth. And notice what he says in verses 5 and 6. Acts 18, verse 5, it says, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garment and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So once again, we see the exact same pattern. And I'd like to... Just note four patterns in all these passages we've looked at, and there's a couple others that we could have looked at as well. And the first is, is that these people that are rejected are all Jews, not Gentiles. Now, now I bring this up, all right, because there are times in the Scripture, there's one in particular where Jesus refers to a Gentile as a dog. And so we might think that, that Matthew 7, verse 6 is talking about Gentiles. And that was one of the first thoughts that came to my mind. But when you look at all these passages, when Jesus and Paul turn away from people or shake the dust off their feet, it's always Jews. Now, now that's not to say that, um, that, that, it, that Gentiles couldn't reject the gospel and therefore need to be rejected as well. But, but the point is, is, that, is that there's nothing racial or ethnic or national about Matthew 7, verse 6. Because in all the examples we see of of this being fleshed out, it's happening towards Jews. Secondly, notice that these people know the truth. Now, Now this one is important because Jesus never teaches that we withhold the gospel from people simply because they're evil. Simply because they're sinful. In all these instances, the people who are rejected are people who know the truth. And even though they know it, they want nothing to do with it. Which leads to the third point, they refuse to believe. So, so this one again is important because there, there's a big difference between someone who, who is wrestling through the truth claims of the Bible and someone who says, that's hogwash, I want nothing to do with it. Now, for example, Jesus was very patient with Nicodemus. He was an educated man and he was asking good questions and so Jesus was patient with him but he was not patient with the Pharisees who just threw the gospel back in his face. And then fourth, a fourth point is that most of the people that are rejected are people who opposed evangelism. Now that's not necessarily true all the time. uh, Matthew 10 never says anything about that. And there's another example in Acts chapter 28 where where Paul is preaching the gospel to a group of Jews in the city of Rome and, and they reject him. And so he says, I'm going to the Gentiles again says nothing there about them uh, necessarily being hostile, but but, but Jesus and Paul mostly rejected people who not only refused to believe the Gospel, but openly mocked it and opposed it. So so in some folks, that, that biblical context is very important for understanding our text. So in our text, Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus is talking about evangelistic ministry. And He is telling us how do we respond when you share the gospel with someone and they are hostile towards the message? So what does Jesus tell us to do? Let's talk about the command. Again, he says in Matthew 7, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. Now, I'd like to begin by just pointing out the absurdity of this illustration. I don't mean that Jesus is absurd, but, but he is proposing something that to his Jewish audience would have seemed to be absurd, right? So, so first of all, let's just remember that ancient peoples did not love their dogs like lots of people do today. You know, some people, uh, you, you love your dog and, and you have a nice bed for your dog and you feed him the best food and, and you spend lots of money on your dog. But that's not what the ancient peoples did. You know, and that's how it is in, in a lot of third world countries even today, that, that dogs are dirty scavengers, they're a pest. They eat trash. They are not something that, that you groom and, and give a lot of attention to. And in contrast, he mentions here in verse 6, what is holy. And that is almost certainly a reference to meat that had been sacrificed to God on the altar. And that meat was sacred, right? And so, uh, you know, it could only come from a clean animal. It had to be slaughtered in a very specific way. Uh, much of that meat could, was, was burned wholly to God. Other of it was, was, uh, was uh, given to the priests, the Levites. Some of it was reserved for the family that offered the sacrifice. But even then, you had to eat it in a very specific period of time, and you had to make sure that you were clean before you ate it. So, so, so meat that had been sacrificed to God was a sacred thing to the Jews. And so a Jew would never dream of taking meat off of the altar and throwing it to the dogs. That's absurd. The second illustration is equally absurd. You know, throwing your pearls before swine. I think we probably know right off the bat that the Jews didn't have a high opinion of pigs either. Now, now pigs taste good. I like pigs on my plate. But I grew up on a hog farm, and pigs are disgusting creatures. You know, I mean, they, are, they, they, they will eat anything. You know, they will... I mean, they will eat their own manure. They, they love to rest in their own manure. They are disgusting animals if you really pay attention to them. And of course, most importantly to Jesus' Jewish audience, they were unclean according to the law. And in contrast, pearls are, are very precious, very valuable. You know, so ladies, imagine if your husband gives you a, a, a pearl necklace for Christmas. And it's not fake pearls. You know they're real. Or he gives you a a diamond ring. I mean, then imagine, you you get this thing for Christmas, and you walk outside, and you just chuck that necklace into a hog lot. Like, you would would never do that, right? Because it is valuable. And and so with that in mind, what is the point that Jesus is making? Well, Well, let's talk about two things. And first of all, Jesus is teaching that knowingly scorning the gospel is a grave sin. Now, now, when you look at this verse, you know, this verse, I mean, the, the illustrations are kind of silly and, and funny, but it's not silly and funny when you begin to identify who are the dogs and the hogs that I know. Now, there's probably some of you that are sitting there right now, and, and when you look at this verse and you're thinking about the application of this verse, you start to think about Your children or your parents, or a sibling, or someone else that you love that has heard the Gospel many times and you desperately want to see them get saved. And then every time you bring up the Gospel, they put up their hands. And all of a sudden, it's not a silly verse anymore, is it? And, and, and generally, and, 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 but, and, and that's hard. You know, because, because, because you desperately want to see these people get saved. You pray for them to get saved, and so every time you're with them, you want to share the Gospel with them. And of course, Jesus does not mean that anyone is literally a hog or a dog. He's, he's using an illustration, and we've got to be careful that we not read more into it than He means. But He is driving home a very important point. That knowingly rejecting the Gospel is a grave serious sin and and now we don't and, and again that's something that we generally think you know i mean we, we oftentimes think of god when we do evangelism we think of god as a used car salesman you know that he's just desperate to make a sale to anyone you know or, or we think of god as as some insecure lover who 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 anyone that loves him anyone that'll give him anything that then he just is looking for anyone to love him for any reason at all And so when we do evangelism, our goal is to not offend anyone. And we beg, and we beg, and we beg for people to believe. But but folks, we have to understand that while God is love, right? John 3.16 says He loves the world. God also demands worship. And the gospel is not just a gift. It is a command to repent. And when someone refuses that command, God says to them through an evangelist or through the word of God, repent. And they say, no. No, God. I'm going to do my own thing. Then he is defying the living God. He is not just rejecting a gift. He is rebelling against God. So, So yes, Jesus loves people and you should too. Now, I think of of Romans chapters 9 through 11. I mean, Paul longed for the salvation of his fellow Israelites. He says in Romans 9 that that he would give his own soul if he could to see the Jews saved. But we've seen multiple times in the book of Acts that when they refused to hear, he he stopped preaching. And so we must recognize, folks, that it is a rebellious, serious sin to reject the gospel. And then, secondly, we should not continually plead with the scorner to receive Christ. Now, now that statement, I, I recognize, is so contrary to how we normally think. You know, that, 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 and maybe, it, it might be that, that statement is even hard for you to stomach. But, but it's clearly what Jesus is saying. I mean, he says, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine." And folks, it is clearly what Jesus and the apostles practiced. So when someone despised the gospel, they didn't just keep shoving it in their face, pleading with them to receive it. No, they called out their rebellion, and then they turned their attention to people who were open to listening. And if we are going to take God's word seriously, then we need to follow the example and the command of Christ. But but you might think, well, why is that? I mean, why, why do I need to worry about a verse like this? Well, Jesus gives us the reason. He, he says at the end of the verse, second half of the verse, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I think it's helpful at this point to, to acknowledge that this verse seems to be set up in, in what, new, in what uh, biblical scholars call a, a chiasm. So, so the, the Greek letter chi is X, all right? And so a chiasm is is a literary feature where where the first statement and the last statement are parallel, and then the second statement and the second-to-last statement are parallel, and sometimes it can work its way into multiple levels. So, So in this verse, there are four statements, and it makes sense that the dogs in the first statement are the ones who tear you to pieces in the last statement, and I think it's pretty clear that the middle two, the pigs, are the ones that trample underfoot, all right? So... So in, with that in mind, a notice that, that we should not continue to preach the gospel to the scorner because the scorner despises the gospel. So Jesus says, "You know, don't give what is holy to dogs because the dogs will turn and tear you to pieces. And, and we'll, we'll get to that one, I guess. The middle one, do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet. Now again, just imagine you've got this valuable pearl necklace. And, um, and imagine throwing it into a hog lot. Now, now, most of you don't have any experience with hog lots. I do. And they are disgusting, sloppy places. And, and so you take something that is very precious and you throw it in the hog lot. And what is that pig's response going to be? Does he look at that pearl necklace and think, wow, that's beautiful. That's really valuable. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it up on, you know, up high in my hog pen, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep it out of the mud and I'm going to just sit there and stare at it. Now well, the pig looks at that thing and he thinks, maybe he maybe tries to take a bite of it to see if it's food, and like, bah, that's not food. And he spits it out and he walks all over it. You know, that, that pearl necklace has no value to a hog. He, he has no appreciation of its significance. To him, it's no better than any other of the rocks that are on the ground. And Jesus' point is that their scorner does not see the incredible value of the gospel. Now, now we've heard it, right? You go and share the gospel with with some people in our culture, and and they say, you know, religion is just a crutch for weak people. I'm not weak, so I don't need that, that crutch. Or you share the gospel, and they're like, oh, that's just a fable. That's just a myth. That didn't really happen. I don't want anything to do with that. Or we watched uh, the American Gospel movie this summer. You know, and the the one guy in the video said, you know, the gospel is not just not true. He said that it is cosmic child abuse, that that God would, would kill his own son. That's horrible. It's a terrible message. And so he rejects the gospel. And Jesus says that when people have that response, and when you continue to cast your pearls to hogs, all you're doing is giving them more opportunities to trample and mock this most precious message. And all you're accomplishing is that you are subjecting the gospel to dishonor and scorn. And Jesus says that is not acceptable. It is not acceptable. The gospel cost Jesus his life. It is the most precious message ever told. And it must be treated with honor and respect. So if someone despises the gospel, mocks the truth of the gospel, they do not deserve to continue receiving it. Now, now if you're not convinced, you know, let's just imagine a, a scenario. You know, let's imagine that, that your family, um, that you have a baby in your home that you, for whatever reason, can't keep. You, you can't keep this baby, but you love this baby, and so you need to find a home for this baby. And so you walk over to your neighbors, you know, tears coming down your eyes. You 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 can't you you have to give up this baby. You walk over to your neighbor's house and you say, You know, I I can't keep my baby. Will you please raise my child? And your neighbor looks at your baby and just begins to laugh, like, what an ugly baby. I don't want your baby. And he kind of smacks it and walks away. Now, Now, what are you going to do at that point? are you going to say, oh, please, please take my baby. Please take my baby. No! You're going to say, this is my child. And my child deserves to be respected and honored. You will not dishonor my baby like that. And I'm going somewhere else. And Jesus is saying roughly the same thing to us in this verse. That, that yes, you should aggressively seek to reach people with, with the gospel. But we also must honor the sacrifice of the gospel and all that it represents. We have to display the glory of the gospel. And by the way, you know, that is ultimately what's in the best interest of the sinner. You know, we, we live in a day where, where much of the American church has become so desperate for influence and, and so desperate for big statistics that we have watered down the offense of the gospel so that, most people, so that more people will respond. And we are peddling gospel light. And very often, it's not the real gospel at all because we've taken all the offense out so that it will be acceptable. And if we're not preaching the true gospel, people are not truly getting saved. And we're not helping them at that point. And furthermore, when we act as if the sinner is sovereign, You know, so so we're just begging and begging and begging them to receive Christ, even though they say time after time that they don't want Him. We we aren't leading them to repentance. We're just feeding their selfish ego. And, And so you aren't loving Him by shielding Him from the weight of His rebellion. No, you love Him by helping Him to understand that God commands Him to repent. And if he, if he rejects, he does so to his own loss. So Jesus is clear, do not cast your pearls before swine. And then the second reason we must, we must not continue to plead with the scorner is that the scorner may harm the messenger. Now, now so Jesus concludes, he says, of the dogs, that they may turn and tear you to pieces. Now, now the point of that last statement is that, that if you toy with an aggressive, scavenger dog, maybe one that has rabies or something like that, then there's a good chance that he's going to bite you. Now, you may be trying to help that dog, but he's not rational. And so there's a good chance that if you mess with him, you're going to get hurt in the process. And Jesus is saying that there is no point in subjecting yourself to that sort of risk. If you persist with a scorner, there's a good chance that He's going to turn on you and do you harm. And He's already made it clear that He has no interest in listening. Now again, I recognize that that rubs up against our natural Christian instinct. I mean, doesn't Christ want us to share the gospel without fear? I mean, aren't we supposed to, to, to run out and, and share Christ without any worry for our own lives? And of course, the answer is Yes. I mean, Jesus and the apostles were willing to sacrifice everything. They were willing to die to see people get saved. But the key is, is they always went after people who were willing to listen. They didn't just throw themselves to the wolves. No, they discerned what risks were worth taking, what people were willing to hear, which people were not willing to hear, and they acted accordingly. I mean, turn over again to Matthew chapter 10 because Jesus helps us out here. You know, And again, uh, the the context here is that Jesus is sending His disciples out to to preach the gospel of the kingdom and He's just said in verse 14 that if they do not receive you to shake the dust off your feet. And then notice what Jesus says in verses 16 through 18. It says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents, and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So so Jesus does not sell his, his disciples the idea that this is going to be all fun and roses, right? I mean he says, You are going you are going out as sheep in the midst of wolves. They're going to arrest you. They are going to do great harm to you as you go out and preach. But he doesn't tell them to just throw themselves at the wolves. He doesn't tell them to be idiots, does he? No, he says, be shrewd as serpents. And in our text, he is saying, risk everything for the one who is willing to listen. But don't waste your life on someone determined to do your harm. Be strategic. Because your life matters and, and your ability to minister matters. And so, so, so I recognize this is difficult. So, so to, to wrap up our time today, I'd, I'd like to just mention five conclusions based on this text. So, so the first one, I think we have to emphasize this, is that we must compel sinners to be saved. And um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 say, all these things, speaking of the gospel, are from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And folks, that passage and many others are clear that we need to aggressively share the gospel. I mean, he says there, we beg people to be saved. So, so when we go out as evangelists, we want to share the gospel and we want to compel people to receive it. And, and, so, and so if you look at Matthew 7 verse 6 and, and your response is, whew, I can stop doing evangelism. Or I, I can just kind of put it aside the side and... They're all just a bunch of hogs and dogs. I'm done. If you use this verse as an excuse to be lazy, you are not hearing the message of Jesus. Or if we look at Matthew 7.6 and, and, and it makes us very skilled critics of everyone else's evangelism, but we're not doing any evangelism ourselves. We've again missed the boat. God is calling us and God is clear throughout Scripture that, that we need to be busy sharing the gospel with people. So, so find someone this week who needs Christ and share the gospel with them. You know, as Paul says here, we want to compel people to be saved. And then the second, second conclusion is that we must attack dark, evil places for Christ. Now, now this one is important because we, we might look at Matthew 7, verse 6 and look at all these other passages that we looked at today and think that we should shake off the dust of our feet Against all the evil places in the world. So so, you know, we don't need to take the gospel to, to the Muslim parts of the world. We don't need to take the gospel to you know communist countries like China because they clearly don't want anything to do with us. We don't need to take the gospel to secular Europe, they don't want anything to do with us. And and you might even say, you know, that, that California is the dogs and the hogs, and we don't need to take the gospel to people here. So is that what Jesus is saying? Well, well, folks, that would not be a right conclusion from the testimony of Scripture. So, so for example, I mean, just you know, think of, of think of this fact. Acts chapter 16, Paul receives the Macedonian call. I mean, he has a vision, and a man from Macedonia says to him, Come over and help us. That was God saying to Paul, I want you to go minister in the province of Macedonia. And Paul went. And when he went three of of his most fruitful churches were established. The Philippian church, Thessalonican, and Berean. I mean, probably there are probably no churches that get more commendations in the New Testament than those three churches. So God did marvelous things in Macedonia. But you know what we sometimes forget? Is that Paul was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. Then he goes to Thessalonica, and a violent mob drives him out of town. And then he goes to Berea, And the mob from Thessalonica comes down and drives him out of Berea. So so Paul encountered as much hardship in Macedonia as he did anywhere. And yet God said, that's where I want you to go. Or or think as well of of his ministry in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Corinth was among the most vile cities in the known world of his day. We have archaeological evidence today that, that demonstrates how perverse and vile and disgusting that city was. And earlier we read in verses five and six, that when Paul went into the synagogue in, in, in the city of Corinth, that the Jews got angry at him and drove him out, and he shook the dust off to the Jews. But then notice what is said a couple of verses later. It says So it says, um, "The Lord said to Paul, by vision at night, do not be afraid any longer." But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And God did great things in Corinth. God established a church. And and God worked marvelously in the city of Corinth during that year and a half, because God had many people in that town. In the midst of all the perversion, all the sin, he had a people that he wanted to save. So yes, there are some very dark places in our world. But God is not bound by evil. And oftentimes, God does his greatest work in the darkest places. Because because the light and the dark are, are so obviously different. You know, I mean, there's probably no place in the world where more, I mean, I mean, really, probably the places in the world where the most powerful gospel work taking place are in the places where it's most hostile. You know, places in China. Places scattered throughout the Muslim world. Where many people are getting saved. So, so Jesus is not saying that anywhere that's hostile, anywhere that's bad, we, we, we run from there and we just go to where we think there's light. That's not the point. And then third we must sow widely and water the good soil. And I think a great example of this is in Acts chapter 17. So, so Paul goes to the city of Athens, you know, the, the intellectual capital of the world. And he marches into Mars Hill. And, um, and so they, be, they ask Paul in Mars Hill to preach. Now, now, I imagine that Paul looks out at, at all these intellectual snobs that, that think they know everything and that they've got everything together. And and you have to think that Paul looks out and he thinks these people are not going to like what I'm going to say. You know, they're going to mock me, they're going to disdain me. But what's he do? He preaches the gospel and gives his Mars Hill address, which is one of the most famous, uh, you know, just powerful gospel messages in Scripture. And what happened afterwards? Well, well, the text tells us. It says. Um, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff. But others said, we shall hear from you again concerning this. So Paul went out from among them, but some men joined him and believed. Now, I think that's a great example because when, when these people begin to mock the resurrection of the dead, you know, Paul doesn't feel the, the need to, to stand there and, and try and, and, and keep begging with them, please get saved, please get saved, even as they're mocking the gospel. But, but he does recognize, you know, but there's a few people over here that are responsive. They want to hear what I have to say. And some of them even responded to the gospel and got saved. So, so Paul planted widely. He spread the gospel seed. And then he identified the good soil. Like, where are the people that are willing to listen? And he went after them. And, and folks, that's the same thing that we should do. You know, it's been said that we should teach the teachable and reach the reachable. So, so cast the seed wide. Call all people to repentance. But then identify the people that are willing to hear, willing to listen, and go after them. And then the fourth application or fourth conclusion is that we must guard the gospel's honor. And that's really Jesus' main point in our text. You know, that, 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 that we need to guard the gospel's honor. And, and, and you know, this is important. You know, and, and really, I think practical application is you know, let's say you've got unsaved family members. And, and, and every time you get together with these people, you feel like, I've got to share the gospel. I and mean, I've got 10 minutes, I've got to tell them that Jesus died, you know, buried, rose again, and if they believe on Christ, they could be saved. So, so, so we feel this need, like every time I'm with this unsaved person, I've got to share the gospel with them. And I've got to just compel, compel, beg, 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 get them to be saved. And and Jesus is saying that that's not actually the case. When you have tried to share the gospel with someone over and over, and and, and they're not listening, they they scorn it, and in fact, sometimes they are offended and angry that you continue to bring it up. Then, Then Jesus says, there's no reason to subject yourself to that scorn. And you're not doing that sinner any good by continuing to put him in the driver's seat. Now, I know that that's hard in real life with people that you love. You know, because if you've got an adult child, for example, who has rejected Christ, I mean, it grieves your heart. But we must prioritize the honor of the gospel even over the people that we love. As Jesus said, we must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then the final application I want to make is, is I want to urge you, if you have not received Christ, to be saved today. Now, there's a high likelihood that there is someone sitting in this room, maybe multiple people in this room, who have heard the Gospel many times. And your response throughout your life has been, you know, I'm not really interested. Like, like I'll believe on Jesus when I want to believe on Jesus. And, and you like being in charge. like You think, I can receive Christ when I want to receive Christ. And, and, and I don't have to do it until I'm ready. And I may never be ready. And, and I would urge you to see today that yes, God is patient and God is loving. And very often, God does save people after years of hearing the Gospel and not receiving it. You know, I mean, I just told Emma's story a few minutes ago. I, I, I've seen that multiple times. You know, when I did youth ministry, there were kids and they had heard the Gospel for 18 years. And boom, they get saved. So God is patient and kind. But you also need to understand that God is sovereign. And you are not in charge. God is. And every time the gospel is presented to you and you reject it, you're not just saying no to a Christmas gift. You are rebelling against God. You are refusing to obey God's command to repent. And, and, and you may think, I've got years and years to make my decision to follow Jesus. And the reality is, is that God may decide no more. You have rejected me long enough. You have trampled my gospel under feet long enough. And I'm done. And so do not sit here today and think and assume that you can, get it, you can do this whenever you want. If you have never repented and believed on Christ, fall on your knees before Him today. Repent of your sin and receive Christ. Because you don't know how long you have. And the gospel demands your honor. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes today. And so, before I pray and we sing, I do just want to ask is there anyone here today that would say, you know, I I have never received Christ as Savior, and I need to be saved? And if, if you'd like me to pray for you, or you'd like me to, or someone to reach out to you and talk, would you just raise your hand so that I can see you and, and know who you are? Anyone like that today? Lord, thank you for your word and for its truth. And Father, I pray that all of us would have tender hearts towards your word. Lord, I pray if there's any here that do not know you as Savior, O oh Lord, I pray that soon they would repent and be born again. And Lord, I pray for those of us who know you, that we would be faithful evangelists, that we would call people to be saved, and that we would also be wise and discerning, and that, Lord, we would honor you. And Lord, we pray that you'd use us to glorify your name and to bring many to salvation. And so work in our midst, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.